Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, 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 listeners joining us all across the country. And uh, you were expecting probably uh, Thessalonians, and not going to happen. Our bellies are still full. We have lots of great food here. If you're ever in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, actually we have some people that come from 63 miles from New York City. Uh, So people come from all around. It's amazing to me. It blows my mind, but we're very thankful for it. But we we have a little meal at Little. I'm lying. I shouldn't lie on radio it's recorded forever but yeah we i we used to have a little we intended to have a little meal but we turn out to have a really big meal and it's fun and people bring stuff you don't have to bring stuff you don't want to but every week we just have a great time together and uh we get together and we fellowship we laugh and and uh kind of bear each other's burdens it's it's nice it's a totally different thing than most churches but i have to tell you that's how we do it in our kehala we are absolutely politically incorrect and we cut it straight so let me tell you this because we cut it straight, because we go straight to the point, and I am the Black Robe Regiment, and I'm pro-America, pro-Israel, uh, pro-liberty and freedom. I have to tell you, I have a guest today that's live with us here at our Kehala and also live on the radio, um, Chris Ann Hall from the state of Florida. She travels all over the country, actually goes all over the world. She does a lot of work in Haiti and, and different things, but... Uh, you've probably heard of her. Uh, she has a very popular ebook and videos on the First and Second and Fourth Amendments at chrisannhall.com. We'll put a link to that on uh, the ninjapastor.com. Also, our Facebook. If you go to our Facebook, um, it's just facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there'll be links there for her as well. And you just click on that, you get all kinds of information about her. But I have to tell you a little bit about her. Chris Ann Hall, she's an attorney and a former prosecutor. She travels all over the country teaching the Constitution and the history that gave us our founding documents. Very, very important. And she's going to connect some dots for you. Listen, I'm going to tell you, like nobody else can. She's the host of the Chris Ann Shaw. Uh, now, that's just, I'm going to, you guys know from listening to the Collision of Faith and Politics, I am a pull no punches kind of guy. Her show appeals to me because she pulls no punches. She tells it like it, and she gives a lot of great background, but she tells it like it is, and she gives you uh, a lot of background, a lot of, a lot of places for you to go to verify what she's saying. And she's, we're, we're, she and I are on the same page. Uh, but I can tell you that she doesn't hide behind any party labels. And she's going to tell you what the founders had to say on what's going on here today. She's a disabled Army veteran, 
a Russian linguist, a mother, a pastor's wife, and a patriot. She was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. She received her undergraduate degree in biochemistry from Blackburn College in 1991, and then her Juris Doctorate from the University of Florida, Levin College of Law, and is a, a former Russian linguist for the United States Army. She worked as a, a state prosecutor and with a prominent law firm defending religious liberty and First Amendment rights. And she lives in North Florida with her husband, J.C. He happens to be a pastor and, ironically, a foreman. Uh, he's a former Russian instructor for the United States Navy. And uh, they have an adopted son, Colton. Uh, she does not come uh, to this the normal route. She wasn't born and raised a conservative. Uh, she was not born and raised a Christian and I can tell you what God has done in her life is absolutely amazing. And you're going to experience some of that right now. Folks, please make welcome Chris Ann Hall. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody here that's live. <laughs> thank everybody that's listening on the air. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sean, for bringing me in. And uh, this is what I love to do. I love to teach. And these are... Uh, what I'm going to give you tonight is, is a blend of some of the favorite things that I do. I do teach all over the country. I average about 265 classes in over 20 states every single year. And so that puts me on the road about three weeks out of every month. My husband and son travel with me when they can and when my husband's not in Haiti, in our Haiti mission. And when I get to teach the blending of my faith with the history of our founders. It is something that is always a delight to my heart. Now, my faith is not hidden, so everybody who knows me knows what I believe and, and who I am. But to bring Bible into this lesson with speaking to believers is, is such a delight to me. And today is no different. Because we are going to talk about the history of our religious liberty. And what better way, day to do that on Father's Day, right? I mean, we have our founding fathers to thank for the fact that America is not a kingdom. How many of you remember from your history lessons that shortly after uh, we won our first independence from Great Britain, that people were begging George Washington to be king. We didn't quite get it yet. And I just want to thank God that there were some who said, you know, this king thing doesn't work out so well. Because kings only keep their promises to the people as long as you're holding a sword to their throat. And the minute you put the sword down, they go back to being kings. And the funny thing is, when people start looking to government to be their provider, they're always happy to be subject. And so let's stop doing the same thing over and over again with these kings and expecting different results. Let's make a government where liberty is preserved. So they chose the only form of government where liberty can be preserved and prospered, and that is a constitutional republic. A constitutional republic is what we are. It is the complete opposite of a kingdom. A constitutional republic is where the people hold all the rights and delegate power to the government as they see fit. A kingdom is where the king holds all the power and hands out the rights and the privileges as he sees fit. The funny thing is, is when you live in a kingdom, the king's handing the things out, what can he do? 
take them away, right? Well, in a republic, we are the kings. And government is the subject. Because we hold all the rights, we delegate power to the government as we see fit. And when government does not operate according to our consent, it is our right and it is our duty to take back that power from government. Jefferson says, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. And any, when, when any form of government operates contrary to those means, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish. And so they knew we had to be a constitutional republic. Now, we take just a second and point out here we are not a democracy. How many of you have heard America called a democracy? Okay, We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And I think that if we really understood the difference between a republic and a democracy, we would be angry when we heard people call it a democracy. So you remember, the kingdom is the complete opposite of a republic. But a democracy, there is really nothing different between a democracy and a kingdom. The only difference between a democracy and a kingdom is how many people rule over you. When you are ruled by a monarchy, you have one king. When you are ruled by a democracy, you are ruled by the majority rule. The mob rules over you. And in a democracy, the mob, the majority, holds all the power, and they hand out the privileges to the minority as they see fit. Which means, in a democracy, minority groups never have anything unless the majority gives them permission to have it for as long as they give them permission to have it. So if the majority is handing out the privileges, then they can do what? Take it back, right? See, democracies do not ensure liberty. They do not ensure the prospering of liberty. The only thing that democracies ensure is that there will always be kings and always be slaves. We know from our own history we're not a democracy. If we had been a democracy, Rosa Parks would still be in the back of the bus. Because in a democracy, a minority group never has a society-changing voice. And only through a constitutional republic where we have equal representation can people of minority status change society. And that's why this is a difference. And that's why we have our founding fathers to thank for the fact that they established a place where liberty would not only survive but prosper. And that's what they expected from us. John Adams. How many of you heard of a guy named John Adams, right? John Adams said in 1765, liberty must at all hazards be supported. He said we have a right to it derived from our maker. How many of you heard of a principle called natural law? Natural law teaches that we are created in the image of God. And because we are created in the image of God, we've inherited certain traits from God. One thing that we've inherited from God is freedom. But you know what? We don't want to live in a place where people are free. If we live in a place where people are free, that means I'm free to lie, I'm free to steal, and I'm free to murder. I am free to do whatever I want to do regardless of how that hurts you. Does that sound like a place anybody wants to live? No. Because liberty and freedom are not the same thing. Liberty is freedom plus morality. 
that shared morality that says, I recognize I am free to do whatever my mind can conceive. But there are some things that I won't do because they're wrong. You see, liberty is freedom plus morality. Freedom until it impacts someone else, until it takes someone else's liberty, then it's not allowed. And John Adams said, liberty must at all hazards be supported. And I want to mention, he didn't say health care. He didn't say national security. He didn't say your job or your home. Because you see, when you have liberty, all those things fall into place. But without liberty, those things become your chains and bonds. He said, liberty must at all hazards be supported. We have a right to it derived from our maker. But if we had not, our fathers have bought and purchased it for us with their ease, their estates, their pleasure, and their blood. How many of you have read the Declaration of Independence? In 1765, John Adams was saying, we didn't invent liberty. It is a gift from God, and our fathers have bought and purchased it for us at a great expense. In our Declaration of Independence, what did our framers pledge for our liberty? Life, fortune, sacred honor. Can I mention to you, the price of liberty has not changed We are building up a huge debt of liberty. And when it comes due, we're going to wish it were only $18 trillion. Because liberty requires eternal vigilance. There was a man, there's a man named John Philpott Coran who said in 1790, it is the common fate of the indolent to see their liberty stolen by the active. The condition upon which God grants liberty to man is eternal vigilance. And if that condition is broken, servitude is his punishment and the immediate indication of his guilt. Can I mention to you today, the price of liberty is not voting every four years. The price of liberty is not voting every two years. That doesn't even purchase your liberty. Voting does not preserve liberty. Voting is your minimum civic service as a member of a constitutional republic. Liberty requires every day life, fortune, and sacred honor. It doesn't mean you have to do for something. It means you have to live for it. It doesn't mean you have to go bankrupt, but you do have to expend a certain amount of your resources daily in the preservation of liberty. And sacred honor just simply means you live your life willing to make the choice that I will do what's right Because it's right, regardless of whether it's economically advantageous, politically advantageous, regardless of the consequences to me. And that is the foundation upon which America is built. And we've forgotten. We've forgotten what liberty is. We've uh, we've been led astray by an errant education system that has taught us things about the founders of our country that simply are not true. And so today on this Father's Day, we might even be shy about thanking our founding fathers for anything. It's become, isn't that sad, that it's become politically incorrect 
to thank George Washington or Samuel Adams or John Adams or Patrick Henry. It's become politically incorrect because we are currently teaching our generations of people that these founding fathers were nothing but a bunch of rich white guys who hated everybody but themselves who wanted to avoid paying their fair share of taxes. You know, I, I read a lot about this history. As a matter of fact, I read not just uh, the history of it, I read their words. Do you know that propaganda about our framers is not original to our government? That's the exact same propaganda that Great Britain was publishing in the early American colonies to call our framers seditionists and justify them being charged with treason. There is nothing new under the sun. But if we are going to preserve liberty, we need to know a few things about it. And I want to ask you a question today. Do you believe that liberty is a gift from God? Do you believe that America was founded upon divine providence? Then we have some responsibilities to that gift. You see, it was not easily won here. And some things we need to understand about our history is we are taught through generations that the pilgrims came to the New World searching for religious liberty. That's not true. They were not searching for religious liberty. They were fleeing religious persecution. There's a difference. And the difference is seen by what they did when they got here. Because when the pilgrims came here and created their chartered governments, they didn't establish chartered governments built on religious liberty. They established chartered governments built on mandated government religion. You had to practice the religion of that charter. Or you had to leave or suffer the force of law. This was not a friendly suggestion. Now, before we kick them in the pants for not being liberty-minded, we have to remember that liberty is something that we have to learn. And quite often, being the stiff-necked people we are, we must learn the hard way. And so, in their mind, they're fleeing religious persecution and they want to make sure that when they have the opportunity to create their government, their government won't persecute them. So what's the safest way to do that? You make sure your government is your religion. And then you try to put up barriers to keep your government from ever changing. And what they did was they established these things called test acts. Test acts were oaths of office that every politician had to take, an oath of loyalty to the religion of the charter. So if you didn't pro uh, promise your oath of loyalty to the religion of the charter, you could not run for office. Now that all well, works well and good as long as men keep promises. But how often do men keep oaths? We don't have a very good track record these days, right? So what happens if somebody takes an oath of loyalty to the religion of the charter but has no loyalty, just lying, and then gets into government, changes the religion of the charter? What happens then? Well, now the sword that the founders of that charter put in the hand of government to protect them becomes the very sword to persecute them because the government's no longer theirs. 
You see, you have to be very careful about the power you give to government. Because the government wielded in your protection, when it changes, could turn against you. The other thing that we have to recognize here is that when you're fleeing religious persecution, because somebody might say, well, then fine, don't come to our charter. Go form your own charter. But when you're fleeing religious persecution, that's exactly what you're doing. You're fleeing. And back then, it was not a matter of buying a plane ticket in London and flying and picking whatever airport you want to land in in the new colonies. When you are fleeing religious persecution, you are bankrupting yourself so you and your family can get on a boat. You are praying that you survive the journey. And you land where you land. How many of you remember from your history lessons that the Mayflower didn't land where it was supposed to land? Right? So what happens? You fled persecution. You've lived through the journey. You're praising God that you did. But you end up in a charter that's not your religion. You're bankrupt. You're not moving on until you can amass enough resources to move on to a charter that is your religion if there is such a creature. So you have a choice to make. Do you operate contrary to your conscience and practice the religion of the government? Or do you maintain your conscience and worship contrary to law? These were not easy choices to make. Because we would be like, well, of course. Of course I would, I would practice my religion. I would do it in secret if I had to. Or I'd stand on the co- street corners and proclaim. You know, that's easy to say except for the fact that these people were not just simply fined. They were thrown into prison. They were beaten, tortured, tarred and feather. We laugh about tar and feathering today because we see it in cartoons and stuff. But it was very, very wicked thing. You're talking about hot tar being poured on your body. And if you didn't die from the third degree burns, you were going to die a very slow, painful death from the infection that came from the dirty feathers that they poured on those third degree burns. And not only that, people were executed. There was a law in Massachusetts that said if any shipmen were to import a Quaker into Massachusetts, the shipmen would be thrown in prison and the Quaker would be hung. I just want to mention to you I'm telling a history, not the history of Iran or China or Iraq. I'm talking about the history that formed America. And so when it came time for our founders to form this more perfect union. There were people who said, hey, we are not going to be part of this union unless we can have greater protection of our religious liberty. There was a group in Virginia called the Virginia Baptist General Convention, and they were the political power in Virginia. Can you imagine a Christian group, Dr. Sean, being so powerful that they controlled the entire politics of a state? Today, we would call that heresy, right? We have too many modern interpreters of the Bible who try to declare that Romans 13 says that we are supposed to submit to every form of government, no matter how tyrannical that may be. The problem with that modern-day interpretation is you have to throw out three-quarters of the Bible to do it. Moses stood against government, right? How many of you remember that? Not only that, 
Moses argued with God about standing against the government. It was God's idea. Daniel stood against the law that told him he had to pray to the king, and he did it openly, engaged in open resistance against the law. We have our apostles being told they can't preach in the court, in the, in the streets. They preach in the streets. They're thrown into prison. What happens? God's so upset because they defied the government, he lets them rot in prison. Is that how the story goes? No. God sent a messenger to break them out of prison. And what is the message that God sends to them? Go back out there and do exactly what you did to get arrested again. And when they were pulled back before the government, and the government looked them in the eye and said, what are you doing? I mean, are you just stupid? We already arrested you one time. We told you that this is against the law. Why are you doing it again? What did the apostles say in Acts chapter 20? I'm sorry. We will obey God rather than men. Because you see, there is a higher law. A higher law that when contradicted by man's law means that man's law is no law at all. And our framers said, look, we are creating a constitution. And the original constitution does not have enough to protect our religious liberty. There is not enough to ensure that we have a place where we will not be forced by government to believe something. The First Amendment is really about liberty of conscience. The whole First Amendment is about liberty of conscience. The freedom to believe as you wish to believe. The the freedom to speak how you wish to speak. How about if I give you a pop quiz? Because we're talking about the First Amendment with religious liberty, right? Religious liberty is just the first part. I want you right now to yourself to name, and don't out loud, to name all five liberties in the First Amendment. See, we have a Supreme Court justice in Florida who took a poll and asked this question. Found out that only 2% of the people polled could name all five. I don't know where you fall in that statistic, but hey, let me ask you a question. If you don't know what your rights are, how do you know they're not already gone? The Constitution does not give us our rights. Our rights come from God. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That word, um, those words, among these, are very important in legal language because when you're a lawyer and you see among these with a list that follows, you know that list is not the end. It is not all-inclusive. There are others, probably many, that are not on the list. And our framers are saying, these rights that are ours come from God, not from government. Constitution, therefore, because it does not give you rights, cannot protect your rights either. The Constitution cannot pick a pen pen and write your representative a letter. The Constitution cannot sit in your senator's office and demand compliance. Thomas Jefferson said, The tree of liberty must be fertilized by the blood of patriots and tyrants every 20 years. We should be thanking God we haven't repeated that history. But what if we have to? Can the Constitution pick up a sword for you? 
No. Because the only defender of your rights is sitting in your seat. And if you don't know what they are, if you cannot define liberty, you cannot defend it. But we've all admitted that liberty is a gift from God, so shouldn't we be working to defend it? Our framers did. That's why they made sure we had the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights to ensure, as they said in their own words, all could be equally free, Jews, Turks, pagans, and Christians. Richard Henry Lee said, It is true we are not disposed to differ much at present about religion, but as we are building a constitution for ages and millions yet unborn, why not establish liber religious liberty as a part of that national compact? They knew that we would have differing faiths because they had differing faiths. They knew that if government could tell you what you could or could not believe, then you were not free. See, if we outlaw religions, if we let the government say, that religion is not allowed here, because maybe we don't like it. A government that can say one religion is not allowed is the same government that can say, no religions are allowed except this one. And that's what our framers pledged life, fortune, and sacred honor for, so that we could have this liberty. But we've forgotten. Thomas Jefferson said, the God that gave us life gave us liberty. And how can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we remove their only firm foundation, the conviction in the minds of men that liberty is a gift from God? And when we forget where these gifts come from, we get confused on who our master should be. And we choose the wrong master. I teach groups all over the country. I teach high school, middle school students. I teach college students. I teach groups like this one. I teach churches, uh, civics groups. On Monday, I'll be uh, teaching in Pennsylvania on the sovereignty of the states, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. I teach state legislators. I teach sheriff's offices and law enforcement officers who want to understand their constitutional duty to their oath. And I want to mention to you that we are confused, even in our conservative circles. We are confused about the proper role of government. And I think, Dr. Sean, it really boils down to this. Too many Christians in church don't believe the Bible anymore. They don't believe the Bible is true. It's a great story we've been raised up in. We want to believe it's true. We want to believe, you know, we, we believe enough to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and he gave his life so that we could have eternal life in heaven with him. But we somehow forgotten that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is impossible for God to change. God is still in the miracle business. There is living proof all around us, and yet we still don't believe it. God has promised that he will provide for us, but we don't believe it. Matthew chapter 6 says, look at the grass that's in the field. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Look at the sparrow. He doesn't toil. He doesn't worry, but he has everything that he needs. Look at the lily in the valley. Even Solomon in his day was never dressed in such an array. How much more will your Father in heaven provide for you? 
O ye of little faith. Luke 11.13, I believe it is, says, You as fathers who are here on earth, being wicked as you are, do everything you can to give good things to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give to you, to those who call on the Holy Spirit and ask? God is just trying to show you. He wants to be your provider. He says, think not on these things, what you should eat, what you should wear, and how you will live, because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. He says, you can't serve two masters. Because, you see, we've forgotten that who our provider is, is our master. Who we run to in time of need is our master. And we have forgotten in America, and I'm not talking about everybody, I'm talking church people, have forgotten in America who is their provider. Because we've forgotten our history. We've forgotten where we come from. We've forgotten who we're supposed to be. We are not a Christian nation. We were never supposed to be a Christian nation. We are a nation built on a Judeo-Christian worldview. There's a difference. A Christian nation gives the impression of theocracy, that we only allow Christians in government, or in the very least, Christianity has a superiority in the hierarchy of government thinking. Governments can't choose a superior religion because the government that can choose a superior religion can make inferior ones. And just because we might all be Christian now, one day we might have a Muslim president or Muslims in Congress. And then all of a sudden, who's in power? And then the government that you've given the sword to create superior religion now becomes the government that makes you inferior. We've got to remember these things. You've got to remember who we are and where we've come from. Because you can't serve two masters. In our limited government thinking circles, we are confused. In our churches, we are confused. We want God to be our master. We want to have a limited federal government as long as we can have a Medicaid motor scooter. We want God to be our master, and we want a limited government as long as the government will provide college money for our kids. We want a limited government. We want God to be our master as long as government will define marriage for us. Hey, last time I read the Bible, it said marriage is a union between a a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. Tell me where government fits in that trinity. Paul said a marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. Where is government in that? And the problem that we're having with government defining marriage now is because Christians have invited government into their marriages by having their pastors get licenses from the government to marry people. Why? Not because we don't want government we want, you know, government to okay our marriage, but because we wanted benefits from the government. And what we said in our Christian marriages is, is, hey, we have this 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 co- this covenant between a God, a man, and and uh, a man and a woman and God. But you know what? We just don't trust God anymore to provide for our needs in our marriage. We just don't 
think God can give us the money and the things that we want. So what we're going to do is we're going to choose government as our master in our marriage to provide for us. We're going to take those tax benefits from the government. Because after all, we all know God's bankrupt and he needs a government bailout too. Because we've forgotten we can't serve two masters. The whole definition of marriage argument in America would be dead in the water if government had no involvement. Those who want to marry outside that covenant of a man and a woman and God are not asking for God to sanction their marriage. They're asking for government to sanction their marriage so they can have benefits. They can get equal kickback from the government because we've forgotten. Not only have we forgotten who our master is and who is our provider and the proper placement of power, we've forgotten our responsibility to liberty. I'll ask you one more time. How many of you believe liberty is a gift from God? You're afraid to answer now, right? (laughs) Because we're going to talk about responsibility. Let me read something to you. This is Matthew chapter 25. Starts in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Liberty is a gift from God. And we are his servants. God has delivered this gift of liberty to us. uh, Verse 15 says, And unto one he gave five talents, and unto another uh, one, and and to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. One he gave five, one he gave two, one he gave one. What do you suppose their responsibility was to the gift that the master had given them? Well, we can know that responsibility by what they did and how the master responded. Then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But, He that had received one went and digged into the earth and hid his Lord's money. What were they supposed to do? See, God has given us the gift of liberty. And the one thing that we are guaranteed is that he's coming back. And he will hold us accountable for what he's given to us. There is a day of reckoning coming. And that's what this story is teaching us. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Why? Because he gave them something and he was expecting them to do something. They had a responsibility. What was that responsibility? And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. What was his responsibility? Well, we know because he said well done that his responsibility was not just simply to accept the gift and protect it, but to prosper it as well. The second Man says, he also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, 
I have gained thee two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Why didn't the master say, Hey, you dirty scoundrel, the other guy brought me five. You only brought me two. What's the matter with you? Because it's our op- it is our job to prosper. God is the one who does the accounting. And he has a good math, not some funny math. Then which he which had received the one talent came and said to the Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast sown not, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. See, he knew what his responsibility was. He's already apologizing for failing to do what the master expected him to do. I knew this is what you wanted from me, but I didn't do it. Why? Because I was afraid. And I went and hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. And what did the master say? Wicked and slothful servant. You knew what you had to do. You didn't do it because you were scared. And now I'm going to take from you what I gave you and give it to someone else. Why? I'm afraid. Do you know what that fear shows? That fear shows that he had no faith. See, the other two had to have faced the same opposition that created the fear in the one. And they did what they were supposed to do. They did what they were expected to do in spite of that fear. And they pushed on, which is why the master said, such a good job. I'm going to give you lots to be in charge of now. In spite of the fear, you moved on. Why Why did they move on in spite of the fear? Because they had faith in their master. They had faith that their master had a reputation so big that even though he was gone, his cloak of protection would be around them. So when he returned, they would still be safe. But the one said, I was afraid. He's saying, you know what he's saying? I had no faith that my master could protect me even when he's not here. I had no faith in in who my master was. And so instead of trusting in my master for my protection, I operated out of fear and failed in my responsibility. If liberty is a gift from God, then how can we operate the way we do? Well, I can't talk about that because I'm afraid I might lose my job. I'm afraid my friends will make fun of me. I'm afraid my family members won't talk to me. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And then we're saying the same thing that the other servant said, right? I know I have a responsibility to prosper God's gift, but I am afraid. I'm afraid of what man might do to me because I do not have faith that God will protect me. If God has given us a gift, he's made us a promise. To whom much is given, much is required, but he's also promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will always provide for our needs. The problem is, is that we've said, hey, this is all well and good. I I like God's needs, but hey, I I I want my wants, too. And my my other master will help me get my wants. We have chosen 
to allow our liberties to be taken from us because we'd rather have wood, hay, or stubble. Because we've forgotten who we are. The foundation of our liberty is built on this understanding that government has no business in your church. How many of you heard of a, of a, of a phrase called separation of church and state? Separation of church and state was not invented by Thomas Jefferson, even though the Supreme Court thinks so. Thomas Jefferson was not in coining a phrase or inventing a principle. He was remembering a history lesson. One of the lessons that I teach I call the genealogy of the Constitution because, you see, our Constitution was not written in 1787. Liberty was not invented in 1776. It took 700 years to write our Constitution. And over those 700 years, there are five documents that had to be written. Our framers called them liberty charters. I call them the genealogy because every part of our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and our Declaration of Independence come from one of these five documents. Nothing invented, everything inherited. And the very first liberty charter is called the 1100 Charter of Liberties. It was a promise from King Henry I that government would never be evil and oppressive again. How's that one working out for us? And the very first promise Henry made was that the church would be completely free from government intrusion. Henry said, a king said, if government is in your church, it's an evil and oppressive government. And I'm a king. I'm not going to let your government be evil and oppressive, so we will stay out of your church. Separation of church and state is, is that principle. It has always meant, since before 1100, that government has no business in your church. It has never meant that God has no business in public discourse. But why don't we talk about God everywhere? Why aren't we handing out gospel tracts everywhere we go? Why aren't we preaching on street corners? Why aren't we speaking our faith and our conscience? Other people do. Problem is, we're not politically correct anymore. And we've allowed ourselves to be silent out of fear. And in that fear, we have declared that we no longer trust God's protection and we no longer believe the Bible. I want to encourage you today that if God be for us, who can be against us? How many of you remember the story of the three Hebrew boys? Bow when the music's played or we'll throw you in the furnace. The music played, everybody bowed, except for three Hebrew boys standing up in the middle of a crowd. The king said, why didn't you bow? You knew the consequences. He said, you know what? We're going to play this music again. You bow. They didn't bow. He said, you know what, king? We believe that our God will deliver us from that furnace. But even if he does not, we may burn, but we will not bow. So what happened? They were thrown into the furnace, and it turns out to be a testimony of Christ. The king says, we threw three men in the fire. Now there's a fourth one, and he sure looks like the Son of God. 
anything about the Son of God, except those boys had been talking. See, I'm, I am absolutely convinced from the Bible that God is not so concerned about keeping you out of the fire as he is jumping in it with you. Because then the glory. Because that's the purpose of our creation, right? To glorify God. But when we operate out of fear and we allow the liberties that have been gifted to us to not only not be prospered, but to be hidden out of fear, then not only does that show a lack of faith, but we are robbing God of glory. We know. How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you believe you will stand before God one day? How do you think that's going to stand up with God? When we stand before God, he says, look, I gave you this gift. What did you do with it? Well, I was afraid. Or I had to have those cell phones, so I had to keep my job. Had to have those flat screen TVs. Had to have that three-bedroom house in an affluent neighborhood with two carars in the in the driveway. And, you know, my wife, she works hard too. Who likes to eat at home every night? And we can't forget that 11th commandment, thou shalt have a vacation every year, God. All those things were so very important to us. Do you think that's going to weigh? How do you think it's going to weigh out to God? When he says, yes, but I had so much to show through you and you robbed me of my glory. See, there are eternal consequences for what we do. And I am terribly afraid that the fate of America is going to fall at the feet of our churches. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will repent of their ways and pray, I will heal the land. He's not calling out to everybody in the world. He's just calling out to those who are called by his name. Hey, if we will just stop serving the wrong master and get on our faces in humble adoration, he might save this land for everybody's sake. Imagine the power that we have to save a whole world, and all we have to do is choose the right kingdom. We are in a kingdom battle, America. We choose the kingdom of God or we choose the kingdom of government, and who you choose to be your provider shows your allegiance. We need to choose the right one. So I want to leave you with a delivery that Benjamin Franklin gave to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Benjamin says, I quote, In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights for our to illuminate our understandings? In the beginnings of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the superintending providence, uh, all of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. Do you know what I think is wrong with America? We're too comfortable. 
We no longer face danger, so we no longer need to cry out God. He says, to that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity for consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And then Benjamin Franklin asks his people the question that I want to ask you today. He says, and I quote, Have we now forgotten that powerful friend? That would be bad, right? But then he continues to something that's even worse. Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I think there are many in America that that's where we are. We no longer need God because we get so much provision from the other master. We don't have to rely on God for our provision. It's a whole lot easier to go fill out a form than to pray and wait by faith. He says, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Franklin says, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded and confused. Our, we ourselves shall become a reproach and byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. Our decisions about liberty have eternal ramifications. They have temporal ones as well. Samuel Adams said, if we tamely suffer a lawless attack upon our liberty, we actually encourage it. He said, it is a serious consideration that should weigh heavily upon our heart that ages and millions yet unborn will be the miserable sharers of our experience. Alexander Hamilton said, if we fail to do what we owe to God and man, we will not be able to use ignorance as our excuse and our children's children will curse us. Because liberty is a gift that we're supposed to be paying forward. And our comfort and our negligence and our laziness to our liberties is dooming our children to a world of servitude to the wrong master. And we'd better wake up. We'd better have a revival in America and have a revolution of the mind and the spirit revolt against the master that will enslave us and reach out for our independence to the master that is the one who gives all good gifts, who loves us like we are his only child, who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us and has promised to take care of us and provide for our needs and all we need is faith to ask. So I want to ask you, what do you want your legacy to be? Do you want your legacy to be one where your children look back on you with disdain and disgust because we chose comfort and provision over faith and liberty?
Or do we want the legacy that recognizes that we got too comfortable and we messed up? We allowed things to happen that shouldn't happen. But we woke up and we stepped up and we said, we are now declaring our alliance to the proper kingdom. And we will not try to serve both masters. We will obey the laws of man as long as they do not conflict with the higher laws of God. And we will recognize that man is tyrannical where God is not. And that when man makes a law that interferes with our liberty, God has declared it's no law at all. Righteous resistance is what God calls his people to do when government becomes tyrannical in defiance of liberty. The Bible proves it. Hebrew nursemaids, the Hebrew boys, Daniel, Moses, the apostles, all these stories that we know from our Bible stories in school, in Sunday school, teach us that God rewards those who stand for liberty and stand against tyrannical government. He's expecting us to prosper this gift. And we will have a day of reckoning. That's why I do what I do. That's why I teach. Three weeks out of every month I'm on the road. Sometimes I'm with my family, sometimes I'm not. We operate by faith. I am not a 501c3 because I won't let the government tell me what to do. But everywhere I travel is from my own pocket. I do not. I am not independently wealthy and I don't get any grants from anyone. But I charge no speaking fees. And there are no groups that are required to cover my expenses. Why? Because I believe that liberty is a gift from God. I believe that he will impress upon people to provide for us. He has given me a talent and a skill to teach and to write. I have five books. I have DVDs. I have all these things that we sell to help to pave our expenses. And he lays it on the hearts of people to donate like missionaries to us. And we've been doing this for five years. And God has never let us beg for bread. I just want to let you know, He is able. And He will provide. I want to thank you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please (laughs) uh, follow this show (laughs) and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www. I want to thank you guys for coming and sitting and and listening. I want to thank you for open heart. I want to thank you for for minds that are devoted to the will of God. And I want to ask you to please join us in our mission to preserve liberty. Join it. I have so many tools that can teach you how to stand publicly to infuse you with the courage to stand for what God has given us. Can I mention to you you that when you do, you you will be amazed at how big God is? Can I share with you just briefly a personal testimony and show you just how big God is? 